Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed. Whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice, try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast for therapists about the things that happen in our practices and things that we do with our clients. And sometimes we come back to business-related topics. And today we are joined by Jenny Schottmiller from Simple Profit. She has the wonderful combination of being both a therapist and a CPA and is the life of, I'm assuming, every party because... (laughs) (laughs) Um, But thank you very much for joining us today and sharing some wisdom with our audience. Thank you for having me. Oh, goodness. Jenny, it's so good to see you. It's so good to have you here. We love having friends of the show on the show. So our first question that we ask everyone is, who are you and what are you putting out into the world? Well, I am a LMFT and a CPA, and I mostly put out education and support into the world, into the therapist world, especially. I have to focus on what I like and what I like is helping people. And so obviously being a therapist is helping people. But I found that helping therapists is one of the most rewarding things that a person can do because therapists appreciate you so much when you help them. Yeah, they do. We start a lot of our episodes talking about common mistakes that people make. So that way, if people are moving into their practices, that they can learn from other people's wisdom and not have to make the same mistakes their own. So what do you usually see that therapists struggle or get wrong with when it comes to finances? So the two things that I see the most is avoiding finances because they think it's going to be harder than it actually is. I often tell people, if you can help someone figure out how to handle a dysfunctional family Thanksgiving, then you can understand (laughs) an accounting system. They're both systems, but there's a lot fewer things that can go wrong in an accounting system than can happen in a family. So we're helping people all the time with family systems and internal systems. And this is just another version of system with fewer problems and a lot easier to understand. And so getting a little education around this thing we called an accounting system is going to help you not avoid it. Avoiding is one of the biggest mistakes. A lot of times people say, oh, I wish I would have figured this out sooner. I wish I would have asked the questions sooner. The other thing is thinking there's one size that fits all. So if you ask for help or support around any kind of money or business topic, well, you have to use QuickBooks Online. You need to be an S-Corp. You have to have (laughs) use this bank you know, they go down the list and you know what? Those are their preferences. That's what they think is best. It might be what's best for them, but it might not be what's best for you. So one of the things that I often am educating people around is, no, your choices. Okay. This is a rule. Follow this. The IRS says, do this, do that. But outside of a rule that you must follow, 
there's choices. Choose the accounting system you like the best. That's the best one for you. There's lots of different types and reasons why a certain form of business would be right for one person and wrong for another person. So just don't think that there's one size fits all and know the difference between something that you get to choose what fits you best and what's actually a real rule or law that you need to follow. I love that. I think I probably have been one of those people that are like, you must get a bookkeeper. because it works for me. And I think there are definitely folks who really like to have their hand in knowing exactly where the money's coming in and what's going out. And I follow it, but I like to not have to worry about receipts and reconciling my books. But for some people, that's how they operate and that's how they understand their business well. But taking a step even earlier than that, because one of the reasons I reached out to you, Jenny, was because we got an an email from a listener and I did not pull it up, so I apologize. I can't state who the listener is. But the the issue was, how do therapists in private practice ever really get consistent income? Like, how do we actually plan around it? And I think that's the thing that scares a lot of folks, especially folks who are in group practices or who are in some sort of agency work from starting a private practice, because they're basically like, I'm going to a place where I'm not going to have any income. And this, I think, is especially hard for folks who either haven't been paid well or folks who have been in group practices where they get like two clients and they're making like $20 a week. And they're like, oh, there's no way I can make this work out. And so even seasoned clinicians who've had private practices for a long time sometimes struggle with how do I make a consistent income or how do I account for ebbs and flows, drops in cases during the summer, anything, all of that anxiety around income. How do you help folks that are just starting out to kind of set themselves up for success? So one of the first things is understanding that when you worked a job in the past and you made a consistent income, what was happening in the background? There was an ebb and flow of the business that was paying you. And what they did was they just managed their cash flow so that they could pay you. So maybe you got a job where you had paid time off and they took the money you helped bring into the company and they paid you a consistent amount and they saved a little extra. But while they're also doing that, more than likely, they also had a profit that they profited off of your work. And so what you're now going to do is you're now going to be the person who brings the money in and the person who gets to profit. But what you need to know is how to manage your cash flow. It's not so easy to do that right out of the gate. It's a lot easier for people who can find a way to swing it where they kind of keep their day job and then they start a little practice on the side and build it up until the point where like, okay, I think I can quit my day job. You got a little security there. Not everyone has those options because of lots of different reasons. But you want to be thinking about you have the ability to profit, to bring in more money to yourself than you did working somewhere else. Be like You can be more profitable in private practice. And then whenever you have a good month, you're going to save a little every month. And then when you have a good month, you're going to save the excess. You're going to put that aside. And that's going to be called owner PTO. And you're going to use that money when you have to take a week off for training, when you're sick or your kids are sick. And you're going to pay yourself a consistent amount from your little slush fund that you created because every time you had, oh my gosh, I made an extra thousand dollars that I didn't plan on, 800 of it went over into my savings. And then when I have a low month, I'm going to use that cash. I pay myself, and this isn't wasn't true the first year, but after about the first year, 18 months, I pay myself the exact same amount every single month. It doesn't matter what my business made. And then if over time I start to grow my profit, I, you know, I'll start paying myself a little more. I'll increase it. So part of that is, you know, taking off the CPA and the great bookkeeper hat that you just described that people put in is now the emotional hat of anxiety of like, 
well, what if, and there's 8 million different fill in the blank sorts of things that can come right after that. So mm-hmm. what do you suggest as people are trying this out? Many people who are you know, stepping into a business owner role kind of for the first time, as far as managing some of those anxieties that come up when it's like, but every month is going to be, you know, a difficult month where all of my clients go out on vacation and nobody loves me and they're never going to come back because <laughs> they're going to go find other therapists. How do you suggest that people manage that kind of anxiety? Well, what I usually recommend is let's break down what that anxiety is about. So we have irrational fears and we have rational fears. It's a rational fear to say, you know what, I might have a month where everyone went on vacation or a couple of clients quit at the same time and right when I'm trying to build my practice and I'm probably going to get really discouraged and that might be really hard. Like that's a very realistic fear, but it's not super realistic that if you've been a therapist for a while and you've been bringing money into someone else's practice, working for someone else, that you're not going to be able to sustain a caseload. And so we want to manage our anxiety to be saying, okay, well, if it's if I have a realistic fear, you know what I need for that is I need a plan. I need to figure out what am I going to do when that realistic fear happens? How am I going to approach it? I also need to know I'm not alone. How many therapists, especially since the pandemic, have started a private practice? Talk to those people. How was it for them? But then when I have this really irrational fear, like the sky is literally going to fall and everything (laughs) is going to get terrible and then it's going to be a disaster and I'm going to lose my house. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I need to tell myself. I need to reassure myself. I need to tell myself that's not likely to happen. I know 50 people that went into private practice in the last two years, or I can at least find them on Facebook. And that didn't happen to a single one of them. So it's probably not going to happen to me. So I I break it down into those two fears. What do I need to plan for? And what do I need to just talk myself off the ledge about? Let's stick a little bit into kind of that planning for some of these rational fears. I think this isn't a marketing episode, although I think a lot of people will equate this with marketing. But how do you make sure that you are making enough money, you know, like that you get to that point that you can get that baseline that you need? Like, what is the figuring that we need to do to make sure that we've set up a practice that actually pays us what we need to be paid? Some people who are therapists are allergic to math. Yes. And this is math. (laughs) And I'll admit that it's math, but it's kind of the math like I had five apples and then I gave an apple to my friend. And how many apples do I have left? It's that kind of math. So it's doable math here. We need to know how many sessions we're going to have. We need to know what I can charge. We can look around and see what other people are charging. Or what insurances are paying. We can figure out what we're going to bring in. We know how much we can work. If we've been a therapist for a while, we know, well, you know what? People are going to cancel. How much? Yeah. And then we need to know what things are going to cost us. And and there's really, to me, two kind of camps of starting your private practice. If you're starting a telehealth private practice, your costs are going to be a lot lower and a lot manageable. And a lot more that if you spend a lot, it's going to be on training because you wanted to and you had the money. Yeah. If you start a in-person practice, then you have the rent. It's probably going to be your biggest expense and training is going to be next. And the rent isn't flexible. So, you know, but then you're like, okay, well, wait, I'm ugh, it's going to make me really nervous to, to sign a lease and have stuck with $1,200 a month rent. Well, then you know what would be a really good plan? Let's sublet. Let's sublet a couple days a week and let's build slower. Building slow is one of the easiest ways to prove to yourself that you can do it and sustain it. When you try to jump in 
and say, I'm going to buy all new brand new furniture. I'm going to lease in a really hot office. It's going to be awesome. And I'm going to you know, start from ground. I don't even have anybody to bring into my practice. Well, you know what? That's going to be more the person that has a cushion and a financial safety net, and they maybe don't even need the money. Yeah. But if you're not that person, you're not going to go that path. You're going to use what I did was I bought a, I had a safety net, but I bought a couch and then everything else. Like I got at Ikea and I got a $5 end tables and I took some furniture from my basement and I didn't have a very expensive office. You can do that and you can build slower and prove to yourself that you can do it and prove to yourself, okay, well, this is what my expenses were last month. Guess what? That's going to be about what my expenses are next month. Oh, I'm taking two more clients and my expenses didn't go up. And if you are able to look at your numbers and see that, it's incredibly empowering to see the actual numbers and how it starts to play out. And then you really start to believe in yourself and you can do it. And I think practically starting slow can look like, you know, kind of furniture you already have, even if it's taking your actual furniture from home to be able to use and sitting on, you know, the floor at home. for a while. Mm-hmm. But I think there's that element for me, what I ended up doing was I gave myself a particular financial goal before I bought myself a new chair mm-hmm. or before I bought myself a desk or before I bought myself a bookshelf or whatever it is. And so I had bare bones therapy practice office to start with, but I didn't spend more than I had or more than I was bringing in. Yep. And I look at people's numbers all the time. I can tell you there are people who start their therapy practice with $200. And there are people who start their therapy practice spending $20,000 before they even see a client. And that's a big range. If you know what your limits are and you know what you need to make and you know what you're going to be able to do in terms of a caseload and what you're going to bring in the door, then pick that expense number you can actually afford. And they go a little lower if you can. So you give yourself a cushion. I'm really big on cushions, financial cushions, build it, create it if you don't have it to start out so that you, again, don't have to freak out. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate upfront. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. So have a budget for couch cushions, have a cushion (laughs) in your budget for other things. Get really nice soft cushions for your couch, but get them on sale. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, my first couch that I think that I bought for my office was from Walmart and it lasted about nine months. And then I had enough of a cushion to buy a better couch at that point. But you talk about, you know, kind of the answer is like, look at your numbers. How frequently do you suggest that people look at those numbers? 
if, if I had to pick what I think would be an ideal time, it would be weekly. And the reason is, now, if you have a bookkeeper and someone else is doing your books, it's going to be monthly. And for a lot of people, it's going to be monthly. And monthly is fine. But if you're doing your own, or at least you have the access to be able to see, or maybe you're using a spreadsheet to just keep track of things, I would look at it weekly. And here's the reason, is because it's a routine. It's harder to create a monthly routine, in my opinion, in my experience, than a weekly routine. But if I say every Friday, I just kind of look and see how the week turned out. Well, now I'm reinforcing for myself the things I needed to look at. If I go a month, I'm going to at least at first have trouble remembering what it was I was supposed to do Mm -hmm. to look at it. But if I do it every week, I'm reinforcing it. Also, once I get comfortable with where I get the numbers and where I put the numbers or what I need to look at, even if it's monthly, even if you're using a bookkeeper, as soon as I get really comfortable with that, when you look at your numbers, it's actually a sense of satisfaction. Starting a therapy practice is one of the best businesses you could start. We're so blessed when we're in terms of self-employment because there are so many different types of industries where to start something, you have to have a large retail space and employees. And we don't have to have a huge amount of costs if we don't want to. And that means that we can be profitable fairly quickly if we get clients. It's satisfying to look at those numbers. So when you look at them weekly, you get a super good feeling when you, oh, oh, that was better than I thought. The other thing that happens when you look at them weekly is that you're alerted really early if there is a problem. Wait, why were my numbers down this week? Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about like five people canceled. Let me look ahead at next week and see, oh wait, I got a new client coming in. Okay, I think I'm gonna be okay. When you have the information, you're better able to sort of plan versus finding out quarterly that there was a problem. Oh wait, I didn't realize I spent that much in February on training. Ooh, that that's that's oh that's my profit's not going to be where I needed to be for this year. It feels late. So weekly, I think is best. Monthly is totally totally fine. I don't think quarterly is enough. And if you're ever in the position where it's February and you're sitting there with a pile of receipts and some bank statements and you're feeling very overwhelmed, it's going to take you eight hours. And it's going to feel really bad. Just make this be the last year you do that because it's not fun. And you don't get that sense of satisfaction. You lose out on all the benefits of looking at it regularly. So what are those numbers that you're looking at? Main thing you're looking at is what money came in the door and what money went out the door. You're also going to look at what do you need to set aside for taxes and what's left for you. And then what's left for you, if we want to break that down further, how much is going into retirement if I have any extra how much is going right into my checking because I need it to live? And can I put any over in my personal savings as well? But that's pretty much it. If I have money that came in the door from clients and I spent money on business bills like training, like EHR, then that's my profit. And that profit, some's going to tax, some's going to me. Maybe some will go to the future me. Okay. So when it comes to things like a bookkeeper, you know, Katie mentioned earlier, you've mentioned like... Some people have the ability to do these kinds of things. How do you help people make kind of that decision of this is a worthwhile investment? I think that everyone can benefit from learning some basics around bookkeeping so that you know what you're looking at. Also, so you know what your bookkeeper is doing. If you learn how to do your own books and you hate it and you're like, this is definitely not for me. This feels like such a chore and not a chore I would ever, ever, ever like. Then you're going to hire a bookkeeper, of course, but you're going to know about how long it takes to do your particular books, which will be different than maybe some other company or some other practice. You're going to know a little bit what's involved. And because you know a few things about it, if something looks really awry, you're going to be able to spot it. So I think everyone can benefit from a little bit of education around it. 
and then trying it out and seeing some people are kind of surprised that it's, you know, it's like taking some numbers and you put them in the little buckets and like, oh, it looks so nice together. Oh, look how cute. And <laughs> it, it and they really, really enjoy it. And also some people, it's like five minutes a week. Wait, I don't need to spend X dollars to save myself five minutes a week. I was going to look at these numbers anyway. So once you know a little bit about it, then you're going to know whether it's something you can do and something you want to do. And you're now in a great position to supervise if you do outsource that because you're going to spy. One of the worst feelings is finding out like eight months after a problem started that your bookkeeper was making major, major errors or actually not doing it. And now they've disappeared on you. You can't reach them. They have your money and you have to pay someone to clean it up. That can be avoided by just knowing some basics. And looking at it regularly. I mean, I think if your bookkeeper doesn't have a process, being able to make sure that you're going into whatever accounting system, I, I use QuickBooks. So I'm one of your folks that is like, it must be QuickBooks. But you know, being able to go in and look and say, hey, let's see, are they done? When's the last time the bookkeeper checked in? You know, do these buckets make sense? You know, and I've even had conversations where I actively said, I want this to go in this bucket. I want to be able to track these types of clients that are coming in or whatever. And this is was more in my consulting business, but it was something where knowing enough, I think, empowers you to be able to have more detailed reports that make sense to you versus getting something that's just a basic PL profit and loss report that you're like, what? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a lot of times people will have all of their income going into one category. Well, it's hard to make sense of that if some of that is client copays, some of that was insurance, and some of that was maybe consulting revenue or supervision revenue. And now it's all in one thing. So one of the first things I recommend is, hey, I can really see what's coming into your QuickBooks. We could really easily make several income categories. And they'll say, no one ever suggested that. I didn't even know that was possible. The layout of how your things are tracked and, you know, if you do, let's say you do clinical testing, you know, a lot of times those testing supplies are really expensive. I'll recommend let's put testing supplies in their very own category and not lump them in. And when I do that, I'm always thinking about, well, what's going to be good for this person to look at? I'm not thinking about it, what I like. I'm thinking about what's going to be useful to them. Just like when I'm a therapist and I say to my clients, when like a, a new client, I'll say, look, I don't know everything. I know some stuff about some people and how things <laughs> kind of go with human beings. And maybe I know stuff about like, you know, ADHD or your, you know, divorce, but you're the expert on your life and you know yourself better than I ever can. So we're going to just put our heads together and try to make your life better. It's the same with bookkeeping. I say, look, you know your business. You saw those clients. You're choosing to sign up for those services and pay those bills. The bookkeeper's role is to know the accounting software and the system and a few things about business to help you out, but you put your heads together and it shouldn't be just a one-sided relationship. Well, and even if you're setting up your own books, I think it is important. And I hadn't thought about the different categories you said. That's really great. I think there's the, the income categories, but you also are talking about expense categories. And I think folks can get caught up in the latest thing. I have to have this email software and I have to have this you know, scheduling software and I need to have this EHR and I need to have this thing and I need to do this training and I need to go to this networking. And if you're not paying attention to how those expenses play out, you can end up paying for years for something that you forgot you were paying for. And you're like, wait a second, I don't send emails to anyone. My marketing is all in person. Why do I have this expensive email marketing software, for example? And I've paid for it for 24 months that I don't need. Yeah. And it's such a good point. When I'm working with someone's books and I'm helping them like set it up or figure it out or learn it, and I see they spend a lot of money on software, 
all say, look, underneath software, let's have separate accounts. We've got your EHR, we've got Zoom, we've got your mail service, all these different ones that you sign up for so that then if you did terminate, you can see it actually stops being a number on your profit and loss and monitor it and watch it. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. And there's also, you know, once you've been in business for a while, there's the year over year comparisons that are very helpful to be able to, and I'll come back to that kind of anxiety question of like, you know, being able to see how well you did compared to last year, or even, you know, as my bookkeeper helps me and gets into like, well, why is this happening? That helps me to even be able to look at, okay, here's where I need to focus my business a little bit better. Or, you know, this is the season where clients stop coming in because everybody's on vacation. And that's why I've saved the money in that other jar on top of my fridge to pay me this month is, <laughs> or, you know, digital jar in my, you know, bank account or that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. part of that benefit of coming back to these conversations so frequently is, it's not like, all right, it's tax time. Let's, you know, try to make everything ready for our accountants. It's, okay, we can start to make adjustments throughout the year or start making plans on this stuff so it fits within our budgets. Exactly. If I look at my past years and I say July is always my lowest month and the first week in August is always slow, then you know what? Why don't I plan my family vacation during those times? I'm not losing as much. Yeah, exactly. That was what I was thinking too. So one of the things you kind of just whipped by and something that you've talked about pretty frequently is your own ADHD. And I know we have a lot of folks within our profession that are neurodivergent in some way or ADHD. And so I want to have a little side trip into how neurodivergence can play into this because a lot of people I've talked to are kind of like, I can't do this because of X, Y, and Z. And one of them is my ADHD. I just can't do it. And it's like, wait a second. We've got Jenny. Jenny proves you can do it. <laughs> can help you to do it. So many of therapists who are in private practice, who have ADHD, who are autistic, who have some other neurodivergence, like there are lots and lots of great examples of how you can be neurodivergent and run a successful business. And I think that a lot of times people who are neurodivergent make better business owners than they make employees. The term I've heard sometimes is unbossable. Like I will never go back unless I have somehow circumstances created a scenario where I had to. I always want to be in charge of myself. However, ADHD, like a lot of other types of neurodivergent, can be a blessing and a hindrance. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be real clear on where are the blessings and where are the hindrances. So I can be super motivated to do things I really like to do. That's going to be great for my business. However, I sometimes don't get stuff done. And I really have some kind of allergy to opening mail. So (laughs) how, I mean, the allergy is ADHD, but anyway, I I could go down a whole rabbit hole with that, but (laughs) I don't like opening mail either. So now I'm going, okay, what exactly is my neurodivergence here? (laughs) My husband sometimes will walk by a pile of paper and he'll just very nicely say, that pile's making me nervous. And then I'll be like, (laughs) okay, it's time to move it to the other room. (laughs) Doesn't mean I'm going to open it. So you have to know how to have a plan to get stuff done. 
there are certain things that do have to get done. And so you need to have some kind of plan around getting stuff done. And I just think of ADHD for myself as like, I'm putting stuff in front of me that I like to do because then I get motivated and then I do it and it just all works really well. But I have to have some way to make sure that I don't let really important stuff go, at least not too long. I think it's also really important that, you know, one of the reasons I'm open about my ADHD is to represent like our clients are neurodivergent, therapists are neurodivergent. It's great for clients to know that therapists are also neurodivergent. It's great for other therapists to know that neurodivergent therapists can run an excellent growing practice. Yeah. So to me, that's one of the biggest things is, is being out there, being real and knowing, so people know they're not alone. Yeah. So what are some of those systems that you have in place or, or that you help therapists that have ADHD and want to have a successful business? Well, so what are some of the ideas that you share with some of the folks that you support? So one of them is the one we just talked about, which is just having your routine around stuff. If I don't like to do it or it's a chore and there's no routine or structure around it, it's less likely to get done. Yeah. So if, if it's not my favorite thing or I'm just not going to naturally want to do it, I need a structure or routine around it. I joke it's taken me until I'm 52 to figure out how to manage email and have a to-do list. <laughs> up until, I would say, I feel like I figured out a lot in the last year, but up until maybe a few months ago, maybe six months ago, I would create a to-do list and then I would lose it. Like just the fact <laughs> I wrote it down was somehow <laughs> beneficial, but I would like cross one thing off and then it's gone. Like I don't, I keep it. It's in a pile somewhere. So I've tried to do apps. I buy cute notebooks that say to-do at the top. Those never worked. Finally, I figured out in my notes app on my computer that also then shows up on my phone, I actually can have, because I figured out there's little bubbles in the notes app on a Mac, there's little bubbles. Oh my gosh, the bubbles changed my world. I saw, I'm like, oh, there's little (laughs) bubbles. I can click the bubble and it says it's done and it moves it to the bottom of the list. It was, it blew my mind. That's what works for me. So Every neurodivergent person has to figure out the things that work for them. Sure. The other is email. So I have a membership and in the membership, I do a webinar every month for members. And I just offhandedly said, hey, oh my gosh, I'm 51 years old and I finally figured out how to manage email. And they're like, can you do a webinar on that? I'm like, I'm the worst person to do a webinar on that because <laughs> it took me until I was 51 years old to figure out how to manage my email. I regularly, since starting my business, Simple Profit Business, had over 100 unread emails a day. And then when it would get to 130, I would knock it down. And then I get to 130, it'd always be around 100. I now regularly go to sleep with zero unread emails and a very clean to-do list. So I did a webinar on it and everyone loved it because I was like, well, I'll just tell you what worked for me. And then if you can pick it up, if it worked for you. But that's the trick, I think, is really working with someone, talking to people and finding the little systems that you like and they will work for you. I think you need to take that webinar, Kurt. (laughs) Just because I'm at 169,827 unread emails does not mean that my system is not working. It's probably working wonderfully for you, Kurt. It, it, we'll, we'll maybe have an offline discussion on wonderful. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I feel like there might be several conversations that are going to come out of that last little comment. But just, I mean, if you had talked to me when I was, you know, two years ago, I would have been like, yeah, forget about it. I'm just never going to learn how to manage it. So, I don't know. Something happened. I am taking out of it. It's just kind of like find what works for you and what's not working for you and then embrace things that help to make up for deficits. Absolutely. Like my approach for mail is that if it's really important, they're going to keep sending me mail and eventually they're going to call me. And you know what? 
I would say probably most of the time that's true. And so, <laughs> you know. A note for all of our listeners, the IRS does not call you. They, they, they just keep sending mail and then they send somebody to you. Well, those envelopes kind of stand out. You know, when you see that you got something from them, yeah, okay, then you want to open that one. But how much mail do we get that is completely useless? Yes. You know? I think for me, the thing that I am starting to do is I'm not keeping that mail that does not seem worthy of opening. I'm finally either shredding it or recycling it because having big piles of mail that are useless, it's not something I'm trying to do anymore. Yeah. Might be a few decades before I actually get there. One time I had my kid, one of my kids, I was like, hey, this is how you're going to sort, go through all this mail, open it, sort it, and then shred it. Well, he has ADHD. And then I just end up with a bunch of piles he didn't finish. <laughs> What I'm taking from this is that we don't have to be perfect. It's more about let's be consistent. There's all kinds of episodes we have on how to get clients. And so we'll link to some of those in the show notes. But assuming that you grow as practices typically grow, where you start where you're not, you don't have a whole lot of clients and you grow to having more clients than you want, figure out what the income is that you can consistently pay across months. When you have higher months, save that so that you can then pay yourself in the lower months and make sure you're paying attention to what's coming in and for what services even. Like if you're getting more money for testing, maybe you do more testing. Or if you're feeling out of balance, then maybe you see, oh, I've done too much testing, so let me do this other thing, whatever. But pay attention to what's coming in and what types of things are coming in, what's going out, but also where it's going out too, so that you can then make educated decisions in your business and create the business that you want. And have lower anxiety because you had the information and you made a timely decision that was helpful to you. Yes. I love it. Where can people find out more about you and your work in case they're interested in working with you? So most of people find me on Facebook. I have a Facebook group called Simple Profit for Mental Health Clinicians. If you're on Facebook, you probably have seen people refer to my Facebook group. It's a good resource. I have a lot of free posts and frequently asked questions there. Also my website, I have a blog. I have a page linked at the top that says starting your business. It's the 10 things that you should do when you're starting your business. And I also have a membership. All that is on my website. So my membership just includes additional kinds of education support that aren't free, but they're low cost. So it's accessible to everyone. So Facebook, Simple Profit for Mental Health Clinicians and website, simpleprofit.com. And I just want to do a shout out to your group, Jenny, because you and the folks that co-moderate with you have done such a service for therapists because you carefully curate what gets through, which I think is more valuable than most people know. You have very specific rules about what actually can be talked about in the group because it's a very focused group and you provide a lot of free advice. And I just, it's just such a service. So I want to, I want to publicly say you are amazing. Thank you for doing this. And it's so helpful for folks because I think it takes the fear out of the money elements in a way that's so practical and so accessible. And so thank you so much for putting that out there. I mean, the group is gigantic and it still feels like a really positive, supportive group, which is sometimes unusual. So thank you. You're very welcome. I love that it's helpful. I love the feedback that I get from people that they feel helped by it. And I, you know, I, I watch when someone new joins my Facebook group and they say, I'm overwhelmed and I don't know where to turn and I don't know what to do. And I'll say, look, girl, read this post. Don't worry about that yet. Do this thing. And then 
you know, six months, eight months later, like, well, I was so overwhelmed when I joined this group, but now I'm really starting to understand it. Yeah. And then, you know, six months later, they're telling other people what to do because they're like, I, I know it now. So that evolution of watching people just grow into feeling comfortable being business owners is just wonderful to watch. And we will include links to Jenny's stuff in our show notes over at mtsgpodcast.com. Make sure that you join our Facebook group as well, the Modern Therapist Group. Follow us on our social media. And if you aren't already, please consider becoming a patron where we give some extras to our patrons every so often or support us on Buy Me a Coffee. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Renoy and Jenny Schott-Miller. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 